back to Optimism Vaccine. We're rolling with a skeleton crew this week, but uh, just just the best and brightest for the finest cinema the world has to offer. So uh, joining me, he's a man who, uh, thanks to his uh, tyrannical leadership at Optimism Vaccine, has forced us into watching several weeks worth of absolute tripe. Adam Myros is here. What I can't be blamed for this. I I did not suggest any candy men. I I was uh, I was looking to stroll down Fear Street, man. Oh well, uh, let's just say uh, spoiler alert for the next episode. I started taking that stroll, and I was not pleased with the first entry. <laughs> <laughs> not a stroll anyone should be taking. Uh, also joining us this week, uh, he's uh, you know our he's our candied men expert. Jake Trapila. It's, you know, it's true. I can take the blame, Steve. I, uh, I said Candyman's name 15 times in the mirror and got uh, three sequels nobody wanted or needed. It's, it's really powerful uh, just how unessential, just the most non-essential shit humanly possible, mm-hmm. all three of these sequels. Well, two sequels and a, what are they calling them now? Rebootquels? Is that, is that the best terminology? Remakequel, rebootquel. Soft reboot, some kind of combination of the three. Yeah, I I thought it was a straight remake, but uh, you know it becomes clear pretty early on that that's not the case. I mean, I, I guess that's a good thing because maybe it'll at least inspire people to go back and watch the first Candyman. But it, mm. it it seems obvious from all three of these films that that nobody actually watches Candyman. They just like think they know what the vague oh, bees and mirror and yeah i guess there's some racial elements to it and that that's all anyone seems to know about Candyman. i feel like the general populace just thinks it's a another generic slasher which i we covered it alongside get out uh many moons ago i i you can hear our thoughts there but it's it's actually a really smart interesting film that people should seek out and it should not be a, a sad franchise <laughs> No, it, it's it's kind of a bummer. I mean, one, it's it's the kind of movie that doesn't need a sequel, but also because the original Candyman focuses in on just kind of like you know the idea of urban myths and and generational trauma and and systemic racism and mythology. Like it opens the door for quite a bit of things you could do with something like Candyman, uh, which none of the sequels choose to do. And actually, the the first sequel to Candyman, Candyman Farewell to the Flesh, was originally conceived as a like a, a non-Candyman Candyman sequel. It was just going to continue to pursue this idea of uh, just urban myths and and you know play around more with the uh, the horror slasher genre using that as kind of a template. So almost like a a Halloween three situation, if you will. Uh, but we know how Halloween 3 went, and despite being the greatest movie of all time, other people didn't see it that way. So uh, the studio kind of pushed back and wanted a more conventional sequel for Candyman. And what we end up getting is somewhere in between those two things, I feel like, because Farewell to the Flesh, there's a lot of head-scratching stuff here. Um, you know, we we somehow end up in... New Orleans after being in Cabrini Green and how we get from point A to point B and how that that myth of Candyman kind of persists in the South. It's not really fleshed out particularly well. Uh, and then also a, a lot of the, uh, <laughs> you know, the exploration of, of race and trauma, that's in a lot of ways either pushed to the side or turned into absolute baby brain, fucking mushy, dumb bullshit instead of the more nuanced take in the original. And uh, yeah, so this is just a, a more slasher forward idiot version of Candyman. Is, is that about on point? 
I feel like I, I almost had to side with the studio on this one because given the quality of this film, the only thing that I remotely enjoyed from it was like Tony Todd's 10 lines of dialogue and Philip Glass's <laughs> recycled score. So yeah. I, I guess good thing they hearken back to the first one because everything else in the movie is just downright wretched. <laughs> it's never, it's never a, like a good barometer for a franchise is at what point do you start rooting for the villain and you just don't give a fuck about any of the human characters. And uh, Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, uh, made me completely uninvested in anybody other than the limited screen time we get with Tony Todd as Candyman. Uh, he's he's great, as to be expected, but he's just utilized so not not well or in any interesting manner. He's just a generic slasher guy who pops up every now and then. But... Uh, yeah, I, the, it, I mean, it's just a it's just a lame carbon copy of the first film, um, and it doesn't. But and it's it's here instead of the reincarnation of his lover, we go to the descendant of his actual lover, and she's the one who is suffering from the the Candyman curse, and all the people around her are dying because of that because of that bloodline. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just awful. It's just very very awful and dull. Uh, terrible fucking movie and i it's like it is in many ways a rehash of the first film but that being said it is also stripped of any subtext like if you ask me what the themes of this film are i just draw a blank it feels like it's it's efforting at that at times again we do have this mardi gras setting it feels like it wants to evoke some sort of uh, racial realities of New Orleans, but it does not even begin, not even at a surface level, to address any of that stuff. It, it's just window dressing. It, it, it serves no purpose in the film whatsoever. Yeah, it, it, and that part is extremely frustrating because, you know, you see, you see poverty and it's sort of uh, placed alongside Mardi Gras and all this over-the-top partying. Um, but... It really is just window dressing at the end of the day. I think the only time it's ever addressed or, or even factors into the plot a little bit is at one point there's this kid who I think we're supposed to believe is important or be invested in in some way, shape or form. Right. And yeah, her student. <laughs> yeah, her student. And it, and then it's like, oh, he went missing. And I was like, who, who the fuck went missing? Who is this kid again? <laughs> but anyways, we're supposed to care about him quite a bit. and. You know, she goes to look for him and she goes to his neighborhood and she's like, oh, I'm looking for the, the reverend such and such because I can't find, you know, little junior. And oh, someone goes, oh, well, you people have helped enough. Why don't you just go back to being a teacher, you dumb teachy teach face? And that's all we get. <laughs> Not that they have to spell it out, because Lord knows once we get to the... uh you know, the, the reboot quill of 2021, things get a little too blunt for my tastes, but something more than that, good Lord. And th that's all it is. It's just, it's just another uh, neighborhood, a different exotic locale for Candyman to kind of run roughshod through. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is too, is you don't really get what makes Candyman so interesting as a character. So I think of all the other 80s horror franchises and you've got, you know, Jason and uh, Michael Myers as these kind of faceless tanks. Uh, you've got on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, Freddy Krueger is this, you know, wisecracking figure. And then in between that, Tony Todd is, he's so beguiling as Candyman and it's, it, it, he almost has this like seductiveness to his approach to the character. Yeah, um, there's real charm there. Yeah, yeah. Sure, because uh, because unlike what the sequels would have you believe, particularly this one, uh, Tony Todd is not playing Daniel Robitaille. He's playing a, a walking myth. He's playing the allure of mythology. He's playing the seductive nature of, of believing the American myth, essentially, in that first film. And that's... Again, here he's he's playing Daniel Robitaille, and he, uh, just some embarrassing shit he's forced to do in this movie. That recreation of his death is just 
one of the more amateur things I've ever fucking oh, seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, we, we do learn how uh, the Candyman <laughs> became the Candyman. I mean, I'm pretty sure we learned that in the first film and the second film and the third film and the new film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we're, we're taught this over and over again. Uh, but in Farewell to the Flesh, it's it's taught to us uh, via community theater is probably oh, the... <laughs> man, it's so shitty. It looks better in Day of the Dead, which is shocking. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's a real, real shit job of chopping off a guy's head. And then even like getting from point A to point B, where they're like, okay, so he, we chopped off his hand because he slept with a white lady, and then... We smeared him with honey, and then a swarm of CGI bees come, and you're like, okay. And then they they swarm to him, and we all said, Candyman. While showing his face in a mirror, just to yeah. see how he had been scarred. Yeah, yeah, we got it, because that's, that's the other thing, too. They have to, they're adding all these, these weird little wrinkles that don't need to exist, uh, but basically, they're saying that Candyman exists because his soul is trapped in the mirror of his former lover and, and again this this because we're not given any real sense of place or understanding of the setting of, of new orleans and what that means and how it was you know one of the, the poorest areas of the country when this movie was made we're not given any of that so yeah all we get is hey man wasn't it bad when black people got lynched? Like any of us are questioning that at any point. It's like, yeah, that was bad. <laughs> Maybe you could focus on the way that sort of white America just descends upon New Orleans for a couple of weeks a year to drink their ass off and fucking piss in the streets of this impoverished city. But no, mm -hmm. that that's certainly not even subtext in the film. There, there, it, Again, this is a film pretty barren of subtext. It replaces that sort of myth-making with a magic mirror that must be destroyed in order to halt Candyman's reign of terror. Yeah, and, and, and it also kind of it changes the complexity of the original by just boiling it down to, okay, now instead of being you know a, a nuanced and interesting look at you know, racial violence over generations and, and housing projects, it's just all this shit that the original Candyman is about, which again, you can, if you listen to our get out episode from a few mm -hmm. years ago, you can, you can hear more on this. It pretty much boils it down to white guilt and black vengeance. And that's it. Um, at its, at its very base. Now, I think there's a lot of people that are, that have criticized the original Candyman because they're like, you know, why isn't he just killing white people? Why is he killing uh, black people in black neighborhoods? And these are the kind of people that probably think that uh, Farewell to the Flesh has something to say about race, when it in fact does not. <laughs> That's not the fucking point. Okay? Like, let's get better than this. Come on. Come on. <sighs> Jesus. Yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really just kind of that. The whole, like, we have to smash the mirror to break the curse is really just kind of cheap studio first draft stuff like they're like okay what do, what do we do with Candyman? okay what is his power well he gets his power from him looking in the mirror and you say his name what if there was an actual mirror from the 1800s yeah that's it we can use that and then it's it, so it's just the quest to smash this hidden mirror and all the while they're like the studio is just really really just pumping in that philip glass score from the first film which clearly they recognize that was as great as it was and I don't know if he composed anything new for this film, but it is recycled over and over again, the Candyman theme. And yeah, it's also just littered with these like cheap jump scares of uh, like characters. It, like it's like the cheap kind of jump scare where you like close a medicine cabinet and there's somebody standing behind you, but it's like just a husband or something. There's all, and it's like accompanied by a loud sting on the soundtrack. It just all this, all this just lame bullshit. And then, yeah, then the finale is like, we got to smash the mirror. I mean, can we talk about this, this Candyman death? <laughs> like, like it's pretty oh, good wow. this effect spectacular he, he looks like he's scanned by a 3d printer and then <laughs> smashed into just cg pieces it, it rocks uh i wouldn't be surprised if it was from the same team that brought us the lawnmower man that's kind of what we're dealing with here in terms of cgi 
And I get it. Like it's what, what year did this come out? 94, 95, 95, 95. Yeah. Uh, but also know your limitations. It, it doesn't, doesn't take much to look at that and go, wow, that looks like shit. And you a hundred percent could have done it differently because there are a few cool practical effects in this. Like the, if, if we're going to say anything positive about Candyman farewell to the flesh, um, there's some, some good practical gore effects. There's some good kills. Um, I actually, there's, there's a cool practical effect where, um, the, the lead woman, she like scratches at Tony Todd's face and it tears back his skin and then bees yeah. crawl out of it. That's cool shit. I'm into that. You know what? That's not CGI. It's, it doesn't, don't do fucking CGI in 1995. Look what you're doing to yourself. Well, it's, and it's just, again, it, it just reiterates the sort of fundamental problem with this film for me is it, it cheapens everything. It boils the concept down to these stupid slasher tropes of like, what is the point of this CGI effect? Because he's like the mirror man. All of a sudden we got to make mm-hmm. him a fucking living mirror. It's like, that is nothing to do with the character or the concept for God's sake. Forget about the fucking mirror. This movie has like 25 seeds of idiots like standing and talking into the mirror and saying candy, man. It's like, for fuck's sake, just just make a Bloody Mary movie and be done with it, for God's sake. Yeah, that's that's what it really wants to be. Um, I, I guess, and again, I'm, I'm like grasping here for positive things to say about Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. This probably looks better than the third movie. Uh, so there's there's that does not even come close to hitting the first, but it it at least looks like a studio film. Uh, it's from Bill Condon, right? Which is the guy who gave us Dream Girls, so <laughs> and like three or four Twilight movies. Yeah, really, really known as a uh, a master behind the camera. I, I'm gonna admit, I was I was cautiously optimistic optimistic we're optimism vaccine what the fuck what was i thinking but i was cautiously <laughs> optimistic about going into at least the first sequel because a tony todd is in it great he's great and b philip glass came back to do the score i was hoping maybe i could pick out nuggets of some things i like because as far as i know like as franchise goes like nobody ever talks about the Candyman sequel ever and i was just interested maybe there's some something buried in the rough here but uh, I was uh, horribly mistaken, and now uh, we are doing a podcast about it. Yeah. And this movie's not like, people don't all, like, this movie has some fans, too. It's not like, yeah, it's got a defenders. Review, which is, I, I guess, because it is, it's not a super cheap cash grab sort of, it doesn't have that feel to it. I mean, it, it is in construction, certainly. Like, it, it has some pretense of, like, being a real movie. And, again, the Philip Glass participation certainly helps on that front. Uh, but it, it's not hideous most of the time. It, it feels like there was some effort and budget behind it. But it, it, they also just made about every wrong decision you possibly could and fundamentally misunderstood the first film. And, yeah, I, I think my best example of, like, what is wrong with this movie at its core? Well, A, the Philip Glass score is not used correctly at all. It's just overlaid over every fucking single thing. There's no impact to it. It's just there, which is great. I can kind of close my eyes and pretend I'm just listening to Philip Glass. But uh, there is also <laughs> this thing, the the Kingfisher. I think the Kingfisher is a big... Oh. Uh, <laughs> Oh, God. We gotta talk about the Kingfisher. <laughs> so I, I figured it out. This is basically, if you haven't seen Candyman Farewell to the Flesh, there's all these little things in here where you're like, why the fuck is this going on? There's Jake kind of mentioned it earlier. There's all these like weird jump scares that are the laziest of lazy jump scares. They're the kind where, you know, it's, it's like loud noise. Oh, it was just the cat. Like that happens like five times or person taps another person on the shoulder, like just like shit like that. And the other thing it does, that's a real head scratcher that is even outside the realm of horror is it does. I mean, what is, what is this in like the fog and uh, like maybe zombie three, I think. Yeah. But uh, you you got a radio host who interjects narration the about, about Mar. Oh yeah, the Warriors. There's another good example. But but he's he's interjecting narration 
about just like, you know, Mardi Gras and, and oh, we're going to get our indulgences in and I'm a butt chug me some, you know, hurricanes. Yes, so mon ami. And he's just he's talking like, uh, do, do you remember Leatherhead from Teenage oh, Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles? OK, so here, I got a little for the, for the audience here. Why don't you rest in that dead shade? It'd be plenty cool there, I guarantee. <laughs> so th there you go. That's, And this is just sort of interjected throughout the film, but it doesn't tie back to anything. I, I guess we're just, we're building to Lent. This is a, a Lent anticipation film. But it doesn't add anything. If anything, it's it's completely distracting. <laughs> and I don't understand. Explain to me why the the Kingfisher is is in this. Uh, oof. I I kept asking <laughs> myself that every time he said a fucking word, because I'm like, he's just like cracking jokes the whole goddamn time. Yeah. Just like, oh, I'll be filling my fat guts tonight. It's like, what what are we even doing? Like, this is not. Yeah. It, it's not adding anything. There's no thematic uh, resonance here. Like, it's not... It, it definitely just feels like a, a, just a studio note added on. Because we never see the DJ. He's he's just a voiceover that they could have hastily thrown in, like, on the final stages of production. It's just uh, a guy... Oh, correction, Jake. You do see him in one scene. He's just a, oh, big, yeah. a big, fat white guy on, like, a balcony in the middle of the Mardi Gras parade at the climax. Yeah, just like Dionysus. <laughs> <laughs> entered a fugue state and <laughs> forgot about him. I can't possible. Yeah, I, I, I hate him. I, I really do. <laughs> and it's just, I, I think, all right, here's, here's my thought on it. So what if the movie in, in its attempts to uh, dummy down uh, racial politics, the other flip side of that is the Kingfisher is, he's a figure that is meant only to antagonize the audience because every time he talked, I was like, shut the fuck up. So now I'm actually, because of this movie, I'm racist against Cajuns. That's it. That's... <laughs> Just want to yep. drown this guy in a fucking shrimp boil. <laughs> it, yeah. it is yeah. It is just one more element that makes you, like Jake said, kind of root for, for Tony Todd to just go through with his meat hook and clean the fucking place yeah, up. Yeah, please, please. The, the, the fat white guy dressed in a toga. Just... <laughs> oh, we out here. Put your wiener in a butt anywhere you want on the street. Ha <laughs> ha. It's good. It's really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fuck this movie. That's that's pretty much it. it. It does have its defenders. I'm not seeing it. It's it's just dumb as fuck. Um, is is there anything positive to say? Well, I tried to say a few things, but maybe one of the few things you could say. And uh, Myros, you might have different feelings on this. It, it might be better than the next movie that came because. That would be Candyman Day of the Dead from 1999, which, you know, honestly, I don't even, I don't remember this at all. Like, I remember when Farewell to the Flesh came out, like, I, I remember it existing. 1999 would have been peak time for me to seek out Candyman 3, and yet I do not even recall it existing. I don't think I realized this movie existed until probably 10 years after it was released. So uh, how did we, how did we get here? Is it, was this even a theatrical release? Was it direct to video? Why does this look so fucking awful? This couldn't have possibly been a theatrical release. Could it? I mean, I feel like I, I have no like distinction between the two films in like my youthful brain. I, these are uh, both of these films would show on your, your HBO somewhat regularly. And I couldn't tell you, which was which, which was the second, which was the third. I mean, they're obviously very different films in, in production value, but I, this could, I'd be shocked at this play no. to the theater. Well, no way. It couldn't. It be. was financed by HBO. So I'm inclined to believe that it was not released in box offices. I was, but. yeah, this has, this just reeks of like straight to Cinemax production. Like, yeah. the lighting is shit and incompetent. The actors look like they're pulled from adult films. It's, it's <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. But, uh, yeah, this is, it's just it's such an even cheaper cash grab than the second film. It's terrible. Yeah. What an insult to Donna DeErico, star of Baywatch, and many other stupid fucking, like, dad shows. These 
<laughs> Blue Bloods? Has she ever been on Blue Bloods? <laughs> I was immediately like, oh, they've got a porn woman. And it's like, no, no, she's she's like a real person for some reason. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not not real in the sense that she's had like uh, approximately a thousand plastic surgeries, I'd guess. But you know. I think she, she kind of has the the look and the energy of someone who would be on like a 90s usa channel program like pacific blue the bike cop show do you remember that i think she would fit in nicely there so we're talking like yeah like primetime cable not network kind of star that's that's what we're dealing with here um yeah so <laughs> good fucking lord as stupid as i thought the, you know, the dumbing down of the racial politics in Candyman Farewell to the Flesh, where it actually gets dumber here to the point where this is basically just a bad straight slasher. Um, the only <laughs> element of like, like the only like, I don't know, racism that the movie deals with is there is a tyrannical cop who yeah. also just happens to be racist. Um, and, and then he he mostly just terrorizes a black cop. So uh, at the end of the day, the best Candyman three could offer us is, you know, some some cops are bad, not a great look. <laughs> and then yeah. and then my my favorite part is the guy, the tyrannical racist cop, isn't even good at being racist. <laughs> he just he just like goes up to the black guys, the uh, the black cop, and is just like, hey. Why don't you go play football well, black man? <laughs> what? That's the best you can do? I mean, I hate you for a thousand other reasons, but you know, a little more effort here, please. Come on. What the fuck? Oh, it's this, it's this honestly movie. embarrassing. It's a it's a weird movie to discuss, I I suppose. It's I I think I would agree with your assessment that I might prefer this because this is not a confused movie. This movie knows exactly what the fuck it is. And it is cheap fucking trash. Like, it is complete bottom-of-the-barrel bullshit. Like, it's just a DTV slasher, the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's nothing more to it. And, right. yeah, I, I, at least that... Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not a good movie, but for what it's trying to be, I, I feel like it executes it uh, perfunctorily and, and successfully to that degree, but uh, as opposed to the second film, which seemed to still be clinging to to being some sort of statement or art, this is not doing that, thankfully. And it is just like, hey, look, this is dumb, dumb bullshit. And I'm like, yep, sure is. <laughs> oh, it certainly is. Um, I, I got a few chuckles out of it, so there's there's that going for it too. We, I mean, we talked about the, the quality of the acting. Yeah. I have a particular favorite person in this when it comes to, uh, you know, their, their acting abilities. And that's got to be the woman who plays the mother. Um, I, don't, I don't think I have her, her name pulled up right now. Marsh, you should look her name up. We're going we're gonna to give her a shout out on the show because uh, talk about a master thespian here. She gives like one of the most baffling performances I've ever seen. So Elizabeth Hayes, Elizabeth Hayes, shout out Elizabeth Hayes. She's supposed to be, you know, I, I, I think she's technically the, the woman from she's Annie from farewell to the flesh. Well, okay, right? okay. So here's, here's, here's the most <laughs> yeah. asinine thing. Okay. This is explain this, this to me. <laughs> this was released in 1999. The film inexplicably takes place. They said it in 2000, 2020 and we're dealing with the daughter of Annie, the heroine from the first film. And the daughter is Caroline. She's Donna Derrico, and she's the last descendant of the Candyman bloodline that Candyman had with the white, rich plantation woman. And so it's, I guess she has to kind of break the curse that he keeps haunting her family or something. So this takes know. place in the future, right? Yes, this <laughs> took place last year, if That's we're thinking exciting. about it in real world terms. Uh, I mean, I, I I have some issues with that, but okay. That makes sense because I was trying to figure out, I was like, did they just like retcon it? So, you know, it's like, oh, don't think about the fact that it's only been five years. Was not taking place in the future? This is always good. You know, the quality of a film when one of the lingering questions is, is this the future? That's a good, 
Go back and listen to our Stuart Paul episodes if you're interested in that. But anyways, <laughs> this this mom character, she's she's kind of like haunted by uh, you know Candyman residually here, and eventually she you know, quote unquote takes her own life, but the Candyman really takes her, and we get this incredible incredible sequence where you hear this. You must destroy the myth. As long as people believe, as long as they call his name, he will always come back. As long as they call his name. I just... Call his name. Call his name. <laughs> I mean, that line, This is this like the Meryl Streep moment of the Candyman franchise? Is she topless while saying this? <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah. That's the other thing, too, is... She's giving in, she's giving this like tortured, scenery chewing, ridiculous performance and titties out like the whole time. This is, I think every scene she's in, she has titties out and, and her entire, yeah. and that's not saying much. She's in the movie like four times, three of which yeah. are like the same thing where the candy man is like slitting her throat. And for some yeah. reason, she's topless the entire time. Yeah, just yeah. yeah. Well, and and when she's not just like you know full frontal nudity, she's like sitting nude in a bathtub. So, uh, it, this woman never wore clothes. Didn't have the yeah. wardrobe budget. So, what can I you mean, do? It's also just another ha hallmark of like an HBO Cinemax production. It's like it's like all right, guys, we're doing this on our own. Bring out the tits. And mm -hmm. uh, I think I think at one so at one point, like every female character is actually like nude on screen. And just Donna Derrico just kind of is in a fetal position in the bathtub, and she's she's strategically covering herself, but all the other women are just gratuitously exposed. Oh yeah, for, Donna Derrico yeah, just kills. just doing work here, like contorting into an advanced yoga pose to hide her nipples. So yeah. good on her. And uh, I mean, her nipples are like prominently fucking out there, uh, covered by the thinnest <laughs> of t-shirts at all times. Yeah, as well. she wears like a yeah. like a like a thin white tank top the entire movie. It's 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 like almost yeah. like the the production team was trying to spite her because she was like, if you want me to go topless, you got to pay. And they were like, no, this entire movie costs probably less than a million dollars. Uh, so she said, you know, fine, then you're not going to get it. And they go, okay, well, here's your wardrobe. <laughs> we Figure shaved off of a doily. Pretty I much. will say her roommate also does not go uh, do any nudity. Uh, Alexia mm. Robinson, uh, who was killed yeah. pretty early, but she's like yeah. the, the second female lead, I suppose, to for like the first act of the movie. And she's also must have been, uh, she had that, uh, that contract locked down as opposed to mm -hmm. everyone else who was just brought in specifically to be like, all right, you are tits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like you, your entire, your entire ability to get hired is if you're willing to go nude for 90% of this, you know, performance. Um, yeah. It, but yeah, uh, shout out to those ladies for, you know, holding out for more money, make yeah. them pay you. That's what I say. Uh, which is why I, I only perform at male strip clubs that, uh, meet my rider demands. So, um, yeah, I, man, this, this fucking sucks, but it, it, I'm, I'm trying to think of like any, any line of defense for this, but there, there's really nothing. It, it plays out like a pretty cut and paste slasher. Yeah. Um, it, it did kind of connect a few dots for me. And I think if you're, if you're interested in broadly what these candied men these sequels are they're essentially a it, it's like a bad elm street sequel mixed with a bad hellraiser sequel to yeah. the point where i think you could rewrite the script of Candyman day of the dead aka Candyman three maybe like an hour or less of minimal rewriting and you could turn this into either hellraiser or Nightmare on Elm Street, depending on which direction you want to go in. Um, it's it's that generic. And it it doesn't really feel like it needs to be a Candyman movie at all, much in the same way that, you know, the second one kind of shit on the mythology, but at least that was holding on to something. Um, and it also introduces another, like, weird, like, soul capture device. So no longer is the Candyman trapped in a mirror. Now he persists as it, like a, a spirit from a painting he's like vigo the carpathian now 
<laughs> if the second film was about smashing the magic mirror, this film is about slicing the magic portrait. Mm. Presumably the one from his past where he was an artist before he was killed. But yeah, so that's 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 the ultimate end game is that she the heroine has to slash up the portrait so that Candyman can be destroyed once again. And uh God, I gotta say, I really just kinda felt for Tony Todd in this. He just he just looks so sad and over it in yeah. every scene. He, I mean, he's showing up and doing what's you know asked of him, but I, he deserves so much better. That's the story God. of Tony Todd's career. He deserves yeah. better. All of these fucking guys, like Doug Bradley and whatnot, like, yeah, it gets to like Hellraiser 35, and he's just like, ah, oh, fucking kill me. It's, it's yeah. pretty sad. Sorry. Yeah, Tony Todd is like almost... A level above that, though, because I, I don't know. He's got something about him, and the only way that yeah. Hollywood ever figured out how to use him was just like, uh, what if we put him in a Final Destination movie or something? Come on! Yeah, he's got, he's, he's got like a very, like, almost Shakespearean quality to his performance in the first Candyman. He's just, he's so good. He just oozes charisma, and like, he has this very nice regal quality that they do not take advantage of for the sequels. I, he's just a towering menace in a long coat with a bloody hook. That's all he is to the studios that produce the sequels. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just uh, it's just really sad and disheartening how how he's treated. Yeah, you almost wish one of these franchises would have done the uh, the standard fucking prequel thing and just made like a movie where it's Tony Todd's life. I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm game for this. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be better than what they're doing with these things. Just give me old Robitaille. I will say there is one line that did make me laugh out loud that that happened here and did not happen in Farewell to the Flesh. It's, uh, it's after our heroine is arrested because it's presumed that she murdered one of her friends and she's sitting in the back of a cop car. And there's this cop taunting her in the front seat. And uh, I think he calls on Candyman as a joke. Then Candyman comes, kills him, rips him apart, gets the heroine out of her cuffs, and she flees the bloody cop car. Later on, we hear these two cops are investigating what happened. And then one of them says, and I wrote it down, This woman somehow gets out of her cuffs and rips a guy twice her size to pieces. Gives a whole new meaning to PMS. <laughs> hey, all right! <laughs> like, I just like, oh, come on. <laughs> this is the real, it. like, just like 90s dude flex version of Candyman. It's like, all right, all the ladies are naked. If they're not naked, they're wearing doilies. And by the way, we're blaming it on this broad and not the Candyman because, you know, uh, hormones, am I right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Candyman movies, uh, they don't need to be, but because they're just, like, copying the first film, they, they're inherently gaslighting horror movies, always. Uh, I guess the new one kind of abandons that to a degree, which, sure, I mean, they try and, like, shoehorn it at the end, but generally the plot is, uh, a blonde woman is gaslit <laughs> and yeah. uh, everyone believes she's a murderer even though it, it seldom makes any sense uh, but yeah y there comes a point where you have to move on from that, that gaslighting plot point and that point in this film is probably the exact portion where she is handcuffed to the back of a cop car and the candy man tears apart a police officer in the front seat because you wouldn't think the police would reasonably suspect her <laughs> of this crime <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know, man. This was a struggle. And, and maybe part of the, the problem for me was I watched this back to back with farewell for the flesh, which you, you just don't do that to yourself. Um, I, another odd thing here is this sort of movie reeks of should be difficult to obtain, but it's streaming on Hulu. So Somehow we uh, we live in a world where anyone can access this at any time with ease. So, uh, yeah, there, there you go. Probably the least essential horror sequel ever made, Candyman 3, Day of the Dead. Well, there that might be a stretch, but... Uh, it, uh, <laughs> You're right. Hellraiser 9 is the answer. I <laughs> yeah, Hellraiser Deader. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't... Right, which one's the one where it's a Hellraiser video game or whatever? That's... Uh, Hell World? I think it's oh, called yeah. Hell World. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, the Hellraiser sequels, don't watch them. Uh, also, don't watch this or or Farewell to the Flash. Uh, but yeah, I, 
I guess this does bring one thing to the, the franchise uh, as a transition point in that uh, it, it focuses on the art world, which is apparently now a major touchstone of the Candy Stone or Candyman franchise. Mm-hmm. And this is, <laughs> I don't know, things just get like stretched and distorted in this franchise in ways I did not anticipate. So we, we established that Daniel Robitaille's backstory is he was an artist who was painting a, a white woman who he fell in love with and then they banged and then he got killed. Um, and then from there, the third one kind of runs with it. And this, the third Candyman movie shares a, a lot of weird similarities with the new Candyman film that just came out, which allegedly is supposed to play as a direct sequel that throws out a lot of the bullshit that Farewell to the Flesh and Day of the Dead gave us. Um, but yeah, it, Day of the Dead, it's it's about like an art dealer. It's about a Candyman art show that, uh, you know, re reignites public interest in this figure. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so it's weird. It's like, why would you borrow anything from this movie? Anything at all. I This <laughs> do not borrow a goddamn thing from Candyman Day of the Dead. But here we are, it's 2021, and you think, dear listener, you think that Jordan Peele made a Candyman movie, but he didn't. It was, uh, it was Nia DaCosta. But if I were her, I would actually just go around telling people that Jordan Peele made this because, um, boy, this, uh, this one really landed with me like a fucking wet fart in church. Uh, I feel, though, like this is, it's still critically acclaimed. What am I missing? Why why do I not love Candyman 2021? Something I've been genuinely looking forward to for God knows how long. Jake, maybe you have an answer for this, because I uh, sure don't. Because I, oh, I think God, this oh is God, like no. uh, uh, really vapid. But uh, again, I, I feel like that is kind of par for the course for a lot of modern horror right now, is that it, it's well-reviewed because it's prestige and it's an issues horror movie, except... It yeah. really isn't, but if if you make something with that gloss, then for some reason, people just eat that shit up. Yeah, it's uh, so it's got this thing where, like, just by it's it's got a huge problem with um sh like sh telling and not showing. Uh, every character just kind of regurgitates the same sort of like you know local area politics of Cabernet Green and there's you know issues of gentrification and class and all of this and I it's it's this kind of film where just by saying those things out loud some viewers might walk away thinking that they feel smarter or they've been educated or just on the mere fact that they agree with what the characters are saying that's what makes it good um, but in my opinion this just that just makes this one of the most like begot like misbegotten sequels to a classic horror movie and it just adds on all these like really dumb elements to the Candyman mythos that just get worse and worse until it finally sputters out of control and then just stops. That's mm -hmm. my take on this. There's a lot of problems with this movie, <laughs> but I, I, I think you could start from a few places here. Um, one, it a hundred percent feels like a movie that started from a conclusion that the writer had already made. So it, it, it kind of works backwards from this ridiculous third act, um, which also happens to be the worst part of the movie in my estimate would probably the third act. And then it kind of builds a movie that leads to this fucking stupid ending. And that's mm -hmm. a problem. I, it's, it's hard to work backwards like that especially when the point that you have determined is like, oh, this is great, and it's not, it's not good. We'll talk about that third act in a little bit. The other thing is, yeah. is it's, it's a movie with ideas, and it looks, it looks good, okay? This is a good-looking movie. It has all the like formal and aesthetic elements that's, that make you stop and go, ooh, I should pay attention to this. And if you try and discuss all the things that it, it packs in here, it's like, well... You know, Candyman was this this subtle, uh, interesting take on systemic racism. And here it's like, okay, well, it's this. And it's also this gentrification thing. 
and it's also police brutality, and it's also this, and it's this, and it's this, and it's this, and it's this. It tries to be about 10,000 different things while also still being a functional supernatural slasher. So it's trying to be a thousand things at once, which it's not very good at. Uh, well, you know what it's especially not very good at is being a functional supernatural slasher. slasher. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then yeah. the third thing, and I think this is really the final nail in the coffin, is in the Candyman sequels, Farewell to the Flesh and Day of the Dead, they sort of watered down the racial politics to the point where they didn't exist. They just became broader and broader and broader to the point where just you totally lose it. Here, it inverts into the opposite direction, but the results are the same and just as shitty. So here we're getting more hyper-nuanced, but instead of just leaving it there and letting the audience interpret it and like, you know, really communicating these things visually, people, the plot actually stops. Characters stop what they're talking about to more or less explain what things are. So there's like a throwaway line that, that would have been fine. We're just like, oh, you know, blah, 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 gentrification. And then someone's just like, yes, gentrification. That's where white people come into poor black neighborhoods and then artists buy up cheap real estate. And then after that, they build a Whole Foods and then all the other white people come and they raise the prices and they push the black people out. Yes, thank you for explaining gentrification to me in, in like this ham-fisted baby brain way. And, and maybe I'm giving people too much credit for understanding that and or, or this could again reek of studio notes or just like i think you should explain this a little bit but it's just goddamn annoying like i i don't i don't need you to turn to the camera and explain fucking gentrification to me i feel like we're beyond this at this point just just tell me a fucking story <laughs> what i would say steve is you might be right maybe you are giving people too much credit that they'd come away with that but what i would say is if you watch the first Candyman film there's virtually zero dialogue or, or actual text in, in the screenplay that indicates any of its thematic elements. You, you know, this is not at any point spotlighted. And, you know, maybe when we're talking about the sequels and saying ah, people fundamentally misunderstood it or they thought it was just a, another slasher movie, maybe people did miss that. And that's all right, because it also functioned as an excellent goddamn slasher. And this movie certainly does not do that, but it also, again, it, it is my problem with a lot of art horror right now is that they don't trust their audience and it, it's okay if you make an entertaining movie that the audience members could walk out not understanding what you meant to say. And that's fine. They could explore it further or they could say, well, I, it was it was a really entertaining movie, nonetheless. You know, I might not exactly understand what the director was getting at because that's the way art fucking works. You know, just tell me what your thesis is for every piece you fucking create. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just really frustrating. <laughs> I would say this is just a like this is just gross over didacticism crossed with inept sequences of horror. Um, the the kills are like just very so poorly staged i mean the the one in the bathroom with the five girls in the mirror is just one of the worst kill sequences i've seen in quite some time uh it, it was it's it's weird because it also just comes really late into the film almost like this was another studio suggestion hey we need it it's been a while we haven't killed anyone let's just throw this in here and it like it also led all of the marketing but yeah, it's just like the CG puddles of blood just kind of splashing underneath the the like the stalls of the restroom. It it looked really bad. My alone in thinking this. Uh, to also say that film in particular makes me question anything the movie has to say because I, what does that have to do with anything? How does it tie into any of the themes of the film? Like, it's just there. All of a sudden, we're in a fucking school and a bunch of white girls are talking about Candyman. And what does this have to do with anything? It's just mm -hmm, fucking yeah. blood. That's They're just like, I guess this is a horror movie. We need another fucking murder scene. But it, it cheapens everything else in the film, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it absolutely does. And it's... <laughs> I, I think the other thing, too, is it, it strives to be as, as relevant as possible like it really wants to be the film of the moment um even the whole the whole art 
uh, project that the, the main character is working on. It's called Say His Name. And there's all these like try, trying to tie it back to police brutality and stuff. But it, again, it, it's it's all window dressing or when they're talking about the art gallery dealer and how he's in this position of, of power and he uh, pr preys on these on these younger women that work for him. Window dressing. It's there for like 10 seconds and they move to the next thing. Nothing is fleshed out or left to the imagination. It's all just we're going to grab you by the shoulders. We're going to scream it in your face. And then we're going to move on to the next thing. And then we're going to yell that in your face over and over and over again. Um, and then on top of that, they can't even get the titular Candyman right. <laughs> because where Tony Todd was a incredible, like beguiling presence on screen, the seductiveness that he brings to the performance, the charisma, and you're just like, fuck, this is great. Like he's going to murder me, but also I kind of want to be around him. You don't get any of that because they reduce the Candyman to this, like, I, I, some hook-handed, like, simpleton that just, like, hands out candy and just, like, smiles. And I think he's supposed to be creepy, but he's not. He's just, it's just a guy, right? There's, there's no. no personality. What's the personality of this Candyman? What does he even fucking want? I don't know. Because he's... I, I, again, there's something to be done with that, where he, this, like, lineage of of candy men throughout the ages, if you will. I mean, not in the sense that a lot of these movies are fucking approaching it. The Candyman family. Uh, I, and this also falls into that fucking trap. But this idea that the, the myth can apply to all these different people, and, and he's appearing as he's introduced to our protagonist, there could be something to that, but you know, eventually we get back to Robitaille and he, he's never really manifested in the film. It's always this Sherman fellow. Uh, and he, there is no gravitas because it's just a man, not the myth. Yeah. It's just the man. And, uh, that, that it's just a missed opportunity. And again, we are back to the Candyman family because of course our protagonist ends up being, the child who Virginia Madsen saves at the end of the first film. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I could do without all these loose nonsense connections that really just kind of cheapen things because again, what does that add to your thesis? Like this movie is about, I, I don't have any idea what this movie is about. I, I, I know what I, hoped it would be about what I thought it was going to be about at the start of the film. And I thought it was going to be a continuation of that monomyth and, and how it is feeding sort of police brutality and things of that nature. Like there is some power in that. Say my name. It, it, it There's something here, but man, it is just not explored fully. And the, it gets lost very quickly along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, I yeah. think it's mistaking like, complexity and narrative depth for it's this is just murkiness there's there's really nothing there and it's just a fucking horrible horror movie that's the that's the long <laughs> yeah, short it's also of it. not good at that <laughs> like, there's no tension and there is there's no joy in the violence which is like it or not a an important component of a slasher film mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's i don't know it, it really is disappointing too because i i had such high hopes but here we are I had That's... a bad feeling once I saw like the first like proper trailer. I was like, something about this does not feel right to me. But uh, maybe I'll <laughs> be wrong. Uh, unfortunately, no, it's it's not very good. Yeah. yeah, can we talk a little bit about the ending too? Because you know the Candyman franchise. Each each of the Candied Men, they they have one thing in common. And that's a shitty ending. Even the first movie, which I think is is brilliant. Uh, most people think that it ends with, you know, Virginia Madsen is, you know, she's she's lit on fire and she crawls out of the fire and hands off the baby. And then people think it ends then. But it actually doesn't. Because <laughs> there's a little coda at the end where a, uh, a bald and burned Virginia Madsen uh, appears in the mirror to kill her, like, ex-boyfriend or something. <laughs> and it's just this really hacky bloody mary bullshit the second movie we have the uh cgi 3d printed tony todd explosion 
And then uh, in Candyman Day of the Dead, somehow the least offensive of the endings, but a, <laughs> a painting of Tony Todd is torn apart, and then that tears up Tony Todd. And then we get to Candyman 2021, um, where <laughs> we learn you that... forgot Dakota of the second movie, by the way, where uh, oh. it actually ends with the the baby. Uh, oh well, she's probably like oh, three or four girl. years old. Yeah, like, baby Don and Derrico. Yeah, and and staring into that uh, mobile, and for some reason, uh, her mother must have told her the story of Candyman. <laughs> yeah, because she knows to say it. <laughs> the fuck is that about i forgot about that wow i must have erased that from my memory somehow worse than what i thought like the the false ending was just a shitty no no there's something worse okay so so now now we're to Candyman 2021 and because again this movie has to just it's like drive by screaming things at us it's like racial politics you should care about in 2021 boom and and all it does is it gloss over it glosses over things and it reeks of like I don't know white studio executives like we gotta cash in on this whole Brianna Taylor thing, but the the Candyman he transforms into uh, the artist protagonist in in the film who he gets stung by a bee and and then he slowly becomes overcome by. I don't know, Candyman bee poison. Yeah, that, okay. That, we, why? Why do we have to add this like this possession angle? Like, I, yeah. like he, he, the like he was targeted specifically to carry on the curse with this the CGI bee sting. Why do yeah. we have because to he's this? the kid from the first movie, man. He's part of the Candyman family. Ah. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. yeah, I also don't like the like body horror element as much as I like body horror. The the fact that his hand was just like rotting off and he's going around to all these like society parties and everyone's like, Hey, how's it going? Love that painting. And no yeah. one's like, Why the fuck's your hand rotting off? <laughs> yeah, why are you oozing? Which then made me think like, oh, it's it's just in his head. Yeah, but like, it's not. I don't think But it's not. It's actually no. physically manifested, which later we find that out too. It's like you, why why'd you do that one you could have just <laughs> it's right there you don't have to you don't have to make it real but it was real and so he you know he uh he gets overcome by the candy man juices as you do and uh then he becomes the candy man because i don't know the guy in the laundromat wants him to be candy man see now that's the question i have about all of this what what is laundromat man what is his plan here? Like, why? why? He he tells us, the audience, that the, the uh, Cabrini Green needs the Candyman. But why? Like, if we took it, fr like, let's steal wholesale the meaning of all of this from the first film. And, and we're talking about this sort of American exceptionalism, this destructive monomyth, you know? Like, wh why? why does Mr. Laundromat feel that this is a necessary component to combating uh i don't know white incursion i'm 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 unclear <laughs> yeah he's trying to weaponize the candy man i i don't <laughs> i get it it's kind of i don't know it's it's really gross because it just seems like de the domain guy anthony is a he's just a sacrifice to become the latest in a line of candy men who I guess represents some form of black vengeance against those who have wronged him. But the most that we see is just children get murdered for saying his name in the mirror. I don't know. It It's it, this whole, this whole laundromat subplot is really just kind of dumb, especially since like the opening scene is the guy seeing Sherman while he's doing his laundry. And then later he's like running a laundromat. And I'm like, did they, did they just, did he just decide that laundry was going to be his life. From that moment on, why did why did he open his own? I don't know. Hey, man, everybody has a calling in life. Sometimes that yeah. calling is being the laundry guy. You know, he just got pigeonholed by the trauma in his past. I, Wait, yeah. I mean, there's not much to his character really, uh, other than he does the laundry for yeah. forty years or whatever, and then he uh, turns a man into the candy man by sawing off his hand. Yeah, I uh, guess maybe that what is being said is that there's a certain segment of black America that believes 
that you know this this whole rash of police violence this, that's gotten so much public attention is is like a necessary evil to rally people to understand and change uh fundamental wrongs i i, I guess perhaps and that that's a wrong-headed approach which certainly i i would say it is but i that's all i can think of that it's hinting at as to why he wants the rebirth of this sort of mythos like it, it's not entirely clear to me nor is it clear to me how then the story of the first candy man fits with any of this what what does uh, virginia madsen's how how does virginia madsen fit into this narrative i i suppose <laughs> yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't make a lick of sense at all um well and, and then you you do get your weaponized candy man although uh, i don't know what they're doing with this shit basically uh, the, the, the cops show up eventually and there's a, oh, you know, hands up. And then they, they shoot the innocent people. And uh, the, the, the Candyman's girlfriend, who's like kind of our other central character here, she is sitting in the back of the cop car and the police are like, uh, you know, well, here's, here's what you saw and this is how the story's going to go and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then she's just kind of sitting there and she summons the Candyman uh, because her her boyfriend Anthony had just been killed. Mm -hmm. uh, so now he's he's fully candyfied, if you will. Yeah. And then he he shows up and he and he kills all the cops. So she has effectively weaponized the Candyman for good. And then yes. also Tony Todd's CGI face shows up, kind of like in Terminator Genesis when we get the the Arnold Schwarzenegger face, right? Is that it? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of like, I don't know, Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One. Yeah. A Star yeah. Wars story. But yeah. That might be a more generous reading of how it looked. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, he's also like, it's part of the, just the CGI bees just kind of swarm around his head and that like he transforms. It's mm -hmm. really bad. And also, uh, you know, we mentioned that of, of all the other things to steal from Candyman 3, the back of the cop car kill is also ripped straight from <laughs> Candyman Day of the Dead. Yeah. We also, this is the first instance in any of the films I could think of where, where summoning the Candyman, he becomes like your ally, like your good buddy to fucking get you out of a jam or something. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure Doesn't exactly where that comes in. <laughs> if, if anything, if, especially the sequels, what they taught us is you summon Candyman, not only are you fucked, but there's a high probability of collateral damage. He's just going to show up and fuck people up. Well, frankly, uh, that's what we're told fine. in this very film, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's if you don't summon him, he's not going to fuck with you. But apparently he he will. Uh, what what does it mean to weaponize Candyman? I I don't know because this is a movie that is concerned with screaming its themes and its conclusions without raising any interesting questions um, or using any subtlety whatsoever. It it kind of fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, that's just that's pretty much it. Is there anything else we're missing here? I, I don't, I, again, this is a film from uh, black writer, black director, it's primarily black cast, and, and Candyman wasn't, the original was not, and that's fine. I, I feel like this is a great perspective to come at this story from, especially given recent incidents, and <sighs> make your themes as nebulous as you'd like, but you still gotta make this an effective and entertaining movie, and that is where this is fundamentally failed for me like if i'm yeah. sitting here asking exactly what the director's intent was that could be a constructive exercise but i'm not viewing it that way because i i couldn't enjoy my time with the film because it's such a, a abject failure as a horror property mm -hmm. yep kind yeah. of a bummer but you know what at the end of the day even if the new candy man isn't that great at least day of the dead gave us this god is name <laughs> Greatest performance of all time. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Jake, what are you putting over this week? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I've just kind of been doing a lot of work on my computer and such, writing writing all these Bond pieces for the upcoming uh, new film. Uh, and I've kind of just had something on in the background while I do this, uh, which has been Shark Tank on Hulu. been binging yeah. a lot of Shark Tank, uh, which is just a lot of fun, I think. I like watching deals go down, 
love watching people's bad ideas get ripped apart. Uh, it's great. It's entertaining. Uh, as far as reality shows go, I, I can't uh, get enough of it. So uh, I like to sit down with my millionaire and billionaire friends and uh, laugh and cry and uh, make deals. Check out Shark Tank. <laughs> Myles, what are you putting over this week? Uh, yeah, I just started reading uh, some old uh, 2000 AD. I, I'm going through the Judge Dredd. Uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. The early stuff is so fucking stupid. It's just like if RoboCop with the same tone uh, was like a, a Sunday paper uh, comic funny strip, you know? It's uh, ropey as hell. The art's not very good. And it's just like super jingoistic nonsense. And uh, it's a delight. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best way to put it. I like that. Uh, all right. Well, this week I'm putting over I'm putting over the band Love Shadow, and they got a new album, and it's called Love Shadow, and uh, it's it's loads of fun. It sounds like uh, I don't know ethereal female vocals over a Sega Genesis. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you should probably check it out. Myros, I think you'd dig it. So that one's definitely for you. Particularly the song Pass Through. That's that's a real banger. That's the standout for me. So check that out. Love Shadow, all one word. Uh, other than that. There's a couple of links in the description of this podcast. One will take you to our iTunes page where you can rate and review this podcast. You can give us a five-star written review. That'll help us out. Beat that algorithm. Uh, there's also a link that will take you to our Patreon page where you can get exclusive written and podcast content from Optimism Vaccine. And wouldn't you know, we have a special Patreon episode. It's in the can. We just got to get it up there. So uh, look for that soon. Probably this week, maybe? Maybe? What do you think, Myros? We get it up this week? Uh, yeah, sure. I think it's edited and everything. Yeah, it's all edited. We just got to upload that shit. So, yeah, new Patreon coming this week. And you know what? If you sign up for our Patreon at any level, you're going to get a free movie from me. So, assuming you live in the continental United States, I'm going to send you a, uh, I don't know, a DVD, a Blu-ray, a box set, a, a fucking laser disc. You don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get something. Maybe it's weird. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's fucking terrible. You have no idea, but you're going to get a free gift, and that's for any amount of money. So at the very least, uh, throw us a couple bucks, and you get a free movie out of it. And if you decide to pledge at higher levels, not only do you get access to all that content, you get a free movie. Um, you know, you can you can vote on future content. You can get your name right on the air. You could be the next uh, the next Ryan. You could be the next Paula. Uh, is you the possibilities are endless here. Think about this. You could be famous just by getting your name read out on the air right now. Incredible prospects for you. Uh, or, or if you pledge at the highest level, you can actually dictate content for this podcast. You could tell us to do an episode on anything your little heart desires, and we will probably make that happen within reason, <laughs> depending, <laughs> depending on what that is. But I, I think you guys would be reasonable, right? Probably. Sure. Uh, anyways, if, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, or marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com is the place to send that stuff. Adam Myros, as always, is hitting refresh on the inbox, just waiting patiently all day, every day, to see what you have to say. And you can tweet at us, at optimismvaccine, on the old Twitter. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. So, with that, Jake, last word is yours. Quit fucking with them. 